Hello and welcome to a Waypoint Church podcast by Jim Privet. We hope you enjoy listening to it. So our reading this morning is from 1 Corinthians 2 um, and it's starting at verse 9. So 1 Corinthians 2 starting at verse 9. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard and what no human mind has conceived the things God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things God has revealed to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught to us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness, and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Let's just pray for Jim, and uh, then uh, he will bring God's word to us. Father, I want to thank you for Jim. I want to thank you, Lord, for his uh, passion for you, for his love for you, uh, for his love for your church, Lord. And will you come, Holy Spirit? Will you uh, anoint the words that he has prepared, Lord? Will you speak through him freely? May he speak with boldness, with openness, Lord. And give us those soft hearts to receive, Lord, what it is you have for us this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Andy. I'm going to give you 30 seconds to say hello to someone next to you. All the introverts, you can die at this point, it's absolutely fine. But just say hello to someone, introduce yourself, unless you know them, and then talk to someone you don't really know that well. You can catch up over refreshments, guys. Chill out. It's fine. You don't just have to talk here. You could talk afterwards for teas and coffees as well. Uh, Those of you uh, that are used to being here, you'll know that we kind of start sermons in the shallow end of the swimming pool and then we sort of swim to a deeper end. We're just going to cannonball straight in this morning, if that's okay. Um, 
I was praying a lot this week in terms of what I felt like God was trying to bring as we did the Stepping Stone series of Reveal, which is our motto text over the year. And uh, there's a few things that I want to get to. That's all right. Is that okay, church? Good. I hope that we've come today expectant to hear from God, to be challenged above all things as well, and to humble ourselves uh, under his word. And I talk to myself as much as I talk to the whole church. So this has taken this uh, particular motto text or motto word, if you like, from the passage that Annie just read. At the end of last year, the the elders and myself, we spent um, a couple of months praying and discerning what we felt the Lord was saying to us as a church for 2023. And this word reveal uh, kept coming back to us, actually, that God wants to reveal more of his nature to us in our personal walk with him, but also in our collective walk and our gathered times together as well. And I sense that. I think there's a building, an excitement of coming into this building on a Sunday morning and seeing what the Spirit is going to do and how he's going to move and what he's going to, he's going to build as well in his kingdom. So I want to give some context though, because it's really important. It's important not to take the Bible out of context. Uh, this verse itself is talking about the Holy Spirit revealing Jesus Christ. Paul was kind of talking to the Corinthian church, uh, a church that, that held wisdom and knowledge in quite high esteem. And so much so that they were kind of trying to understand God with their head and intellectual knowledge. And Paul was challenging it respectfully and saying that this is the wisdom of this age, that that will come to nothing, that ultimately the wisdom and understanding of God only comes through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's real wisdom. And that plan that Annie talked about, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, not the heart of man imagined, the plan that is talked about in the mystery of the Old Testament is revealed through Jesus Christ. No one could imagine that that was going to be God's plan. So if you're in this room this morning and you've said yes to following Jesus Christ, you've had the Holy Spirit reveal something of himself to you. He's revealed the truth of Jesus Christ and your need for him. Amen? Amen. But the Spirit doesn't stop there, does he? We're called to walk in the Spirit, to walk by the Spirit, to walk with the Spirit, to allow the fruit of the Spirit to to grow his fruit of love in our lives. But sadly, inadvertently, a little like the Corinthian church, we allow other ideas to get involved when it comes to, I think, our understanding of God. We tend to build a God shaped on our experiences and our understanding, our preferences, our own thoughts and feelings, perhaps even our own insecurities and fears. And we end up kind of creating a God in our own image. So the wisdom that God wants us to know through the Spirit gets kind of muddled up somewhere and becomes our wisdom and we apply that back to God. Does that make sense? Sometimes we think God thinks this about this particular thing. And so forth, we put God in, in our, our own little image. And by doing that, we reduce, I believe, the wisdom that God wants to pour out through us through the Spirit and also through the Word as well. In Proverbs 4, 6, David is giving advice to Solomon specifically about the importance of not just knowing wisdom but living it. He describes wisdom as a woman. Some of you are thinking, amen. (laughs) Wisdom is a woman. Some of the men are thinking, no way, what? And he instructs Solomon to stay by her side. He instructs Solomon to stay by wisdom's side. He promises wisdom will protect him. He also promises that she, wisdom, will guard Solomon if he loves her. Church, do you love God's wisdom over your own? Do you love God's wisdom over the world's wisdom? We'll unpack this a little bit in a minute. Do you think God's wisdom protects you and guards you and leads you? Or do you lead yourself? Does your own wisdom and understanding 
guard you, protect you and lead you. God-given wisdom by the Spirit and the Word is given to us so that we can flourish. It won't always be easy to believe God's wisdom, but it is given to us so that we can flourish. And remember, in the passage, it's a wisdom that the world does not accept. The world does not accept that wisdom because the world doesn't have the same spirit that we do. It has the spirit of the world. It says that in the passage. It thinks that we are foolish. If you're in this room and you're a Christian, the world will think that we are foolish. Godly wisdom will look different to what the world thinks is right. Sometimes it will be contrary to what the world thinks is right. Sometimes it will be contrary to what you feel is right. Sometimes it means as Christians we have to not stand up for things that other people are standing up for and vice versa. Because we are set apart. Amen? We are set apart. We have a king of a kingdom that isn't of this earth. The now and the not yet. If you look in Luke 4, I told you this is heavy. (laughs) If you look in Luke 4, when Jesus is tempted by Satan... Where does Satan promise him? The kingdoms of the earth, right? If you know your Bible, he promises him the kingdom of the earth. He says, you could have these kingdoms. Just give in. We're not of the earth. We're not of the earthly kingdom. We're of a spiritual kingdom. And we have a king who's got a wisdom for us that he wants us to trust and to live by. But Jim, I hear you all saying, Isaiah 55 says, his ways are not my ways. His thoughts are not my thoughts. His ways are higher than my ways. And godly wisdom can feel like that sometimes. Out of reach. Oh, there's no point. Like, God is God and we can't, we can't like, think like he does. But then you read that last verse, but we have the mind of Christ. And as I was preparing this, I just felt like we have the mind of Christ. It means we have access to wisdom 24-7. Where he's made a way possible for his ways to become our ways. For his will to become our will. And for his wisdom to become our wisdom. He did that through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, right? When he died for you on the cross, Jesus, he didn't just give you a new heart, a fresh heart, a living heart, a new identity. He didn't just forgive you, he didn't make you right in the eyes of God. But he also gave you the mind of Christ. That's exciting, isn't it? And your position is that you have the mind of Christ. And we have the spirit and the word that enables and grows this, like a muscle at the gym. <laughs> Anyone who works out, my wife works out a lot. I get scared of it sometimes, she's looking, like bench press me out the door. But um, <laughs> with our minds, we have the spirit and the word that can, can shape our minds, can cultivate the mind of Christ. And that's what I want us to unpack today. Charles Spurgeon said this about wisdom. Wisdom is the right use of knowledge. To know is not to be wise. Many people have a great deal and are all the greater fools for it. We have the spirit and we have the word. We need to dust them off and let the wisdom of the spirit and the word shape our minds. So, that's just the intro. Uh, God's wisdom is revealed when we cultivate the mind of Christ. So I want to unpack some of those things with you in a second but when I talk about the mind of Christ I'm talking about the inner being so in the Old Testament and the New Testament when it talks about the mind it was translated really as the heart the heart and Dallas Willard if you know who he is uh, is an American philosopher and a well-known Christian writer says this about the human heart the inner being the mind if you like the human heart or the will or the spirit is the executive center of a human life 
The heart is where decisions and choices are made for the whole person, and that's its function. It's the total of all of our mental, our emotional, and our spiritual faculties. That's the human heart, the mind, if you like, the place that we make those decisions. I read somewhere that we have 6,000 thoughts a day, some of us. <laughs> Thank you. 16 hours awake we are, on average, that's about 375 thoughts an hour. That's a lot, isn't it? Yeah? It's a lot. And if you're like me, those thoughts can be all over the place. They can be all over the place. They, can have, they have the powers to lead us in truth. And our thoughts have the power to lead us in deception and destruction as well. So amongst our thoughts, we are looking to shape the Christ mind in us, where his thoughts become our thoughts, and his ways and his wisdom becomes our wisdom. Are you with me? So the first thing we can do to cultivate the mind of Christ is to take our thoughts captive. To take our thought captive. Why? Because the spiritual battle starts in here. The spiritual battle starts in here. If you go way back to Genesis 3, you look at Adam and Eve. When they were spiritually attacked, the battle took place in the mind. The, the serpent said, did God really say you must not eat the fruit? So he sowed doubt. You will certainly not die. He spoke a lie. And you'll be like God. He set up temptation. He sowed doubt. He spoke a lie and he set up temptation. The serpent basically supplied a worldly wisdom, an attractive worldly wisdom that Adam and Eve fell for. But we fall for it all the time, don't we? I don't think God really minds if I do this. Is it really that bad? Be your own person, I'm my own boss. God loves everyone regardless. It doesn't really matter what they think or how they act. And yes, he does love everyone regardless. But it does matter what you think and act. The spiritual battle that we find in Genesis 3 is the same that we're in. And it takes place in here. Because if you lose the spiritual battle in here, you become ineffective in God's kingdom. You become lazy and apathetic. Sorry, but that's the truth. Paul in 2 Corinthians 10 is facing the same problem within the church. And he says this, We destroy sophisticated arguments and every exalted and proud thing that sets itself up against the true knowledge of God. We take every thought and purpose captive and we make it obedient to Christ. In other words, you put those things that are not Christ-like in prison and you hold a spear to it. Because the moment you give it space, it starts to grow and flow and become something much, much, much bigger. And we go off course. And how do you know if you're in danger of applying worldly wisdom? I wrote this. You'll have key areas of your life, whether private or public, that if you weren't a Christian, they would look exactly as they do at the moment. I'll say that again. You'll have key areas of your life, whether you're private or public, that if you weren't a Christian, they would look exactly as they do at the moment. Romans 12, 2 in the message puts it this way. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. And we are all susceptible. I've said this before. When I preach, I preach with a mirror in front of me. So loads of you will know that I used to struggle with pornography from the age of 15 to 25. I fell for the lie and the temptation that it doesn't hurt anyone. 
It doesn't hurt me. In fact, it helps me, right? It deals with my stress. It's normal. All my friends were doing it. There's worse things. And all those things weren't true. I was anxious. I felt guilty. I felt like a hypocrite. I had a really awful understanding of how to treat women. I was creating a harmful perception of what I thought a healthy relationship looked like. I was actually harming myself, my self-esteem. I wasn't free, I was stuck. Not just in my actions, but also in my spiritual walk as well. And despite knowing my identity was freedom, I chose to live a worldly wisdom out to the point where I was enslaved by the lie that that's okay, that that's fine. Rather choosing to trust God and be defined by him, I was defined by a worldly wisdom and the lie. Church, are there areas of your life where you have fallen for the lie, worldly wisdom? It might seem really clever, really lofty, really healthy, but it's a lie. It might not be pornography, it might be some other addiction. It might be that you have adopted worldly values and principles that are contrary to what the Bible says. It could be negative self-talk. It might be that God doesn't love me, I'm not good enough for him to die for me. I'm not good enough for him to use me in his kingdom. So how do we combat that? We take those thoughts captive. We make them obedient to Christ. We bring them before Jesus. We pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayer. That's the spiritual battle. After you put on the spiritual armor, there's the power. You pray. You pray. You pray over those thoughts. For me, personally, when I was in those moments, outside of telling a trusted person, that helped me amazingly to break free from the, that habit of sin that I had in my life. Those moments of prayer created proximity with God. It shifted my focus and my thoughts. They empowered me to overcome. And maybe this morning, I just want to say, if you're feeling uh, not attacked, but certainly convicted, it's the spirit. It's the spirit. I had to realize through many times of prayer in those 10 years that I need to be, repent. I need to get on my knees and repent. And maybe that's your position this morning. It might not be about pornography. It might be something completely different. It might be that you've adopted worldly values and principles that you've, you've just allowed to just grow and grow and grow in your life. Maybe today is a chance to repent and to trust God's wisdom. Second thing, feed our minds with godly truth. Scripture is really important. Really, really important. Um, I'm going to say the word chicken. It'll make sense in a minute. <laughs> Some of the tastiest chicken I've ever had was at um, Adrian and Tina's house. We don't know who they are. I like to name names, by the way. It's important. We're a church family. Adrian and Tina are a South African couple. They've been here for X amount of years. How many years, guys? 60? 16. Okay. So say, no, oh, you look good. 16. You need some more of that chicken. Um, Adrian, I went to their house for dinner a couple of years ago. And Adrian said, um, I'll be marinating this chicken all night in these spices and herbs and brisol. salt. That's awful. Did that on. Wow, sorry. That was my South African attempt. Sorry about that. That was awful. That is also recorded. Sorry. I need to stop doing these moments. Brisol. salt. <laughs> and uh, I was like, okay, fine. We'll see what it tastes like. You tasted it, and you could taste every single flavor it was phenomenal it was the best chicken i've ever tasted it was so good you could taste the herbs and the spices and the salt as well 
And I remember that day vividly. <laughs> it was a beautiful day. But as I was thinking of it, I was thinking, my point is this, right? When it comes to scripture and cultivating the mind of Christ, our, our mind needs to sit in and be marinated by scripture. It need, we need to taste like it. It needs to penetrate and infiltrate every single part of who we are. So whoever we come into, there's this wisdom that is given through scripture that just naturally comes out in who we are. Amen? I was chatting to a guy this week who was like, oh, Jim, you, could, you, you, know, you always you know, you know this quote from the Bible and this quote. I really don't. My brain is a sieve. Trust me. It is a sieve. And I said to him, as long as you embody scripture, <laughs> that's all that really matters, right? And to embody it, you have to read it. Don't get me wrong. But if you embody it, it means that you have, you have sat in it. I remember going up when I was at Moreland's Bible College, and uh, one of the um, lecturers said, you don't read the Bible, you study it, you meditate it, you pray before, during it, after. You allow the Spirit to open your eyes to it. You humble yourself to it as well. If you don't like it, don't put it down. Don't start picking, mixing bits of the Bible because it doesn't quite fit in with worldly wisdom. You humble yourself to scriptural wisdom, to God's wisdom, God-inspired wisdom. Take a breath. <clears throat> because if you don't, your mind will continue to be shaped by other things. It's estimated that we watch three and a half hours of TV a day as adults, apparently. I don't know if I believe it, but perhaps you do. And what we put in, we digest. What we put in, we digest. My mum says, I used to eat a lot of baked beans, and that makes me a baked bean, <laughs> right? You are what you eat. <laughs> whether it's books, whether it's websites, whether it's social media, whether it's the newspapers, wherever it is, is there an imbalance in your life where you're getting lots of worldly wisdom and therefore the values and the principles of the world, but you're not sat in scripture enough? The Evangelical Alliance did a statistics thing on this a couple of years ago. And 35% of the church read the Bible a couple of times a week, 55 read it twice or three times a month. I'm not doing that to shame anyone at all, right? But if we're not in the Word, we're going to be shaped by the world. We really, really will. And this is one way that we cultivate mind, the, Christ, the mind of Christ in our lives. The other thing I want to just challenge really quickly on this. I think there's a spiritual battle against the Word in the last five years, if not longer. To interpret it in ways that fit a worldly system and a worldly wisdom. <clears throat> Do you know what I mean? Good. I think we need to remember that when we read the scripture, we're not reading about ourselves. We're reading about a holy God. It's about him when we read scripture. Often we want to read ourselves into it. And there are elements of it that do speak to us personally. Don't get me wrong. But the Bible is about God. It's about his plans and purposes. It's about his mission. And of course he loves you. And of course, of course he's got a plan for you. But you weren't created. And then God went, oh, I wonder what I should do with um, Mark. <laughs> he went, right, I need a Mark to fulfill my plan and mission. Does that make sense? I need a Rachel to fulfill my plan and mission. We read the Bible. We just go, what does it, what does it tell me about me? Actually, it's about God. So if we can start filtering scripture in that way, that will cultivate our mind in a different way. It's meant to be difficult. Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is alive and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. 
It judges your thoughts and your attitude. Are you prepared to humble yourself to the wisdom found in Scripture? That might mean difficult conversations with people. That might mean giving something up. I've also found in my spiritual battles that having the preemptive strike of having Scripture, the sword of the Spirit as it talks about, the only implement that's used to attack, having Scripture in here enables me to really battle hard. To battle hard. It's one thing to pray when you're in spiritual battles, another thing to have Scripture. Even Jesus recited Scripture when Satan attacked him. Are you with me? It's very quiet. Third thing, the company we keep. Have you ever had the power of everyone in your mind? Everyone's doing this. Everyone's having kids. Everyone's getting married. Everyone thinks this way now. Everyone has these values. Everyone's doing this, that, and the other. It's fine. It's what the world does. Have you ever had that in your mind? On a recent BBC article, a social psychologist said this, the more of your identity you draw from a group, even when you're not around that group, the more likely you are to uphold those values and principles. These are called social norms, and they're an intrinsic desire to not stand out, because we want to survive. We don't want to be taller, smaller, bigger than everyone else around us, because then we might stand out. So we just adopt, it absorb. This is why friendship groups, I think, are really, really powerful. Really, really powerful. Because we go to them, don't we, for honest conversations. We go to our friends to get their opinion on something. For camaraderie, for insight, for wisdom. I think Christ can shape and cultivate your mind when you have good, solid Christian friends in your life. That are prepared not to puff you up, but are prepared to encourage you and challenge you, to sharpen you. In Galatians 3, Paul is writing to a church embracing cultural norms that are contrary to the gospel. And these norms implied that Christians should really be observing holy days and holy months and seasons and years. And that all Christians need to be circumcised and follow the law to be made right before God. And he combats that in Galatians 4. And then in Galatians 5 he says this to them. You are running the race so well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. You were running the race so well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. In essence, who are you letting distract you from the truth? Who and what are you listening to? And us, we're not a holy huddle. I never want us to be a holy huddle. But if you're going to people that don't have the same love of Jesus as you do, you're going to get, you're going to get given worldly advice. As sincere as those, that advice might be, and as loving as that person could be, you need people that aren't going to puff you up. Yeah, they'll encourage you, but they'll encourage you in the way of the Lord. They'll disciple you. Shameless plug. <laughs> if you're not in a discipleship pairing, come and see Mark. Put your hand up. Come and see Mark afterwards. We want those places to be, yes, a place of, of, of acceptance, of course, and of love, but also a place of honesty. We want those places to be a place where we can sharpen one another. That's when we become really effective in the kingdom. That means receiving and saying things in love, by the way. Being prepared and giving consent to the other person. Be honest with me. 
as a Christian, what do you think about this? Proverbs 13, the wise walk with the wise and become wise. A companion of fools suffers harm. Last point. We're really in the deep end, aren't we? We cultivate the mind of Christ by spending time with him. The company we keep, we become. If you want to become more like Christ, how often do you spend time with him? And I don't just mean this. This is beautiful. I love church. It's biblical. It's right. And it's so good. It's refreshing. And it's refilling everything else. But please don't let this be the only expression of your faith. The biggest expression of your faith outside of these four, five walls, whatever the shape is, is what you do with Jesus in those intimate spaces. That's how you'll shape the mind of Christ. That's how his wisdom becomes your wisdom. In intimacy, so the small, still voice can be heard. This is why you are in Christ. John 15, we abide with him. We abide in him. We are always in Christ, by the way. If you said yes to Jesus Christ in this room, you are in him. You abide in him and he abides in you. We're part of an unshakable kingdom. But not all of us practice the presence of being with Jesus. That's the biggest thing, by the way. This is the biggest point that will shape and cultivate your mind. Abby and I have been married for uh, a long time. (laughs) 15 years. 15 years it came to me. 15 years. And we've got a marriage certificate somewhere to prove it. Um, But if that's all I ever waved about in your face, look at us. Look at the relationship that we've got. Look at the date that I, when I became a Christian and then two years later I became a Christian again because I felt you know, that I was sinning again. And that's fine. We need to keep coming to that place of the cross. Don't get me wrong. But if we just have an intellectual knowledge of our faith, we're not going to have a real depth of relationship. This is not ethereal, by the way. This is not some sort of mystic thing. This is a genuine thing. If I didn't have date nights with Abby and spend time in proximity with her, I wouldn't get to know her. Wouldn't they get to know what, uh, what wisdom she has to share? She has a lot of it when I keep my mouth shut. <laughs> and I mean that in the best way. I wouldn't get to know her character. I'm reminded in Luke 10 when Martha works so hard, doesn't she, to receive Jesus into her house. And then when, she's, when he's in the house, she's still working hard. And where's her sister? At the, At the feet of Jesus. And Jesus says, this is better. This is better. Some of us, we have Jesus in the house, but we're so busy and distracted, perhaps even serving him, which, by the way, 194 volunteers, wow, that's incredible. But we have Jesus in the house. Jesus in the house, right? I knew, I had to say it, sorry. Sorry. But Jesus in the house. But, we do, but we're not at Jesus' feet in the house. We're too busy being distracted by other things. We don't learn to create space with Jesus. So it becomes this practical, intellectual journey, which isn't always wrong. Logic is good. This is for me as why worship is so important. It's so important. And I know it's not everyone's bag in terms of whatever, but in worship, I can lean hard into my relationship with Christ. I love it when people sing out. I love it when people lift their hands. I love it when people bow down. Not because people that don't love Jesus less. It just just fills me. Because there's an intimacy about that. 
I was at Breeze worship event a couple of weeks ago. Karen and Rob, sorry if you're in the north, but Karen and Rob, can you put your hands up? These guys were leading us in worship. It was beautiful at the end. <laughs> and I explained my thinking. At the beginning, I was like, oh, when are we going to move on? We sung this song for the last five minutes. <laughs> this phrase again and again and again and again. When's something really like notable going to happen? When's someone going to bring the word? And the word is a form of worship as well, don't get me wrong. I hope something really important happens in a minute. And then God slapped me around the face <laughs> in that moment. And he said, this is what I designed you to do. To be in awe of me. In my presence. To have an executive heart. <laughs> the motions, the mental state, the spiritual state, fully focused on me. Fully focused on me. The object of the worship, not the style of the worship, not the length of the worship, but the object of the worship. For me, that's my intimate space. That's where I get shaped by Christ because the Spirit speaks to me in that space. He challenges me in that space. When I come to worship and I have a heart that is like this rather than a heart that is like this, and a heart that's submitted, that's where the intimate space really happens and you can do that in a traditional style and in a contemporary style it's the same God that we worship God draws near doesn't he in powerful ways when it comes to worship I don't think it's a surprise that when people were in prison prison walls came down because they worshipped him when people were in, facing physical battles who do they send out first the worshippers and they won battles when people were depressed, worship soothed the mind. When people were worshipping, an outpouring of joy came as well. I read this week that there are three groups during times of worship. There's the one being worship, Jesus. There's the worshipper and there's the spectator. And I've been a spectator many times. I started as a spectator two weeks ago. <laughs> and, uh, and God just went, no, just do this. Do this. I was in a tent. This will make sense. I was in a tent six years ago in Sussex. And uh, it was a big church day out in the Kingdom Come tent. And it was a, like a really stripped back sort of worship late at night. And um, I don't know who was leading worship. It's irrelevant. But they started singing this. I'm going to expect you guys to join in. Jesus loves me, this I know. better singing this in the north as well yes Jesus keep going yes Jesus loves me amen after about the 20th time that they sang that I mean how intellectual is that line <laughs> wow about the 10th time that we sung that or 20th time this is not emotion. The spirit pushed me to the ground in awe, face down. Then I started crying because the spirit reminded me that he loves me. And I started having just the most incredible experience, and I'm going to use that word because we're scared to use that word sometimes in, in church, experience of the Holy Spirit. Just reminding me that I was a child, that he loved me, that... I was worth going to the cross for. I left that place 
Not just as a warm, fuzzy feeling, by the way, but I, I left that feeling re renewed. I did some work with Jesus about my private life <laughs> as well in those times. Psalm 40 verse 3 says this, he put a new song in my mouth. He did from that day. A hymn of praise to him. This bit. Many will then see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. I was so refreshed and reinvigorated by my time in the presence of God in that intimate space that I was reinvigorated to go and share Jesus with people. I was a youth worker here at that point, And I remember coming back and speaking about it at Edge and other places as well. When you do that, when you're prepared to submit yourself in times of worship, I genuinely believe that the Spirit wants to speak to you. He might challenge you. He might shape you. He might just tell you that he loves you. But often, in my experience, that happens through times of worship, particularly gathered worship. Can I encourage you, church, to come to our times of worship like this and not like this? I know the heart can be the same regardless. But can I encourage you? Some of you are thinking, that's just not what I am. I'm not wired that way. In God's wired you differently. I get that. But do you have an intimate space that you can be like that with God? Where you can go up the mountain. It might be a silence, a time of silence. It might be long walks. It might be out by the beach. It might be prayer marathons that aren't just a list of, please, God, can you do this? <laughs> it's this, God, I love being in your presence. I love listening to you. I'm just going to listen to you now, Spirit. Speak to me. It could be times of meditating, marinating in the Word, and just allowing the Word to challenge you and shape you. Times where you come back down the mountain and you are radiant. You're full to go and sing your new song. Ready to have an impact in the kingdom. I'm finishing. Church, we have access to godly wisdom. Wisdom that is designed to guide us, to lead us, to challenge us and to grow us because we have the mind of Christ. We have access to that. Are you actively cultivating the mind of Christ? Are you taking every thought captive? Are you making it obedient to Christ? Are you feeding your mind with scripture? Are you being mindful, not scared of, but mindful of the company that you keep? Making sure you go to good people that are going to challenge you in love. And are you spending intimate time with Jesus? However that looks. However that looks. Can I invite the worship team back up? This is going to lead a time of prayer. And I'm just going to ask the Spirit to speak to you, to your heart. So Holy Spirit, come and speak to you, our hearts. We are open to your work this morning. You know us inside out. Come and examine us, as it says in your word. Come and examine our motives and our heart. Forgive us for the times that we have just gone along with worldly wisdom. Open our eyes. Reveal to us your wisdom. Both in the secret places and also when we gather together, Holy Spirit, come. We just wait upon you. We're just going to wait upon you, Holy Spirit. in the room we metaphorically bow down before you
we are at your feet. And we're sorry. We're sorry. We're sorry that we allow the world to shape us and not you. We're sorry that we adopt worldly wisdom and not godly wisdom. You don't adopt wisdom that only comes from a loving heavenly father that poured himself out on the cross because you love us so much. We're sorry for the times that we neglect you. We're sorry for the times that we're marinating in so many other things. We can quote you this, this and this, but we can't quote the scripture. We can't embody the scripture. Your word, your daily bread given to us. pray for those this morning perhaps who are in a cycle of addiction and if you're not then this is your chance to pray for those people in the spirit just pray for them Lord I know how hard that is sin that so easily entangles us and trips us up Lord just remind them of their identity in you that they are free from sin They're no longer slaves to sin, but they are made right by you, Jesus, that you've forgiven them and that you've given them the power that they need to overcome. Lord, I pray that this morning we will have hearts where we allow your spirit to empower us, to overcome us with your love and to lead us in your love. to us, Jesus, more of yourself, more of your ways.